0: Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Today I'm going to be talking about one of the greatest gospel stories about Jesus ever told. This is the story of Jesus walking on the windblown and turbulent waters of the Sea of Galilee to join his disciples in their boat. The disciples are floundering as they spot Jesus coming out to join them. Matthew 14, 22-33 joins the story at the point where Jesus had sent the disciples out in the boat without him. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds to whom he had been preaching. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water." He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of god here ends the reading this story is so popular and familiar that it became the basis for a description of someone we think of as a little too confident or a little too big for their britches we might say of our arrogant boss for example she thinks she can walk on water of course in the real world nobody can Peter found that out out when he almost drowned. That leaves Jesus' action in the realm of the miraculous. Only Jesus can walk on water. As with all miracle stories, the question becomes, what difference, then, does this make to me? How does Jesus' ability to perform spectacular feats, like turning water into wine and walking on water, affect you and me, poor mortals? It's kind of disappointing. In the church where I served, it was expected that each week the pastor or one of the staff would present the children's time or children's sermon before they were shuffled off to Sunday school. It was usually a simple object lesson based on the same scripture that the adult sermon would be based on. matter of fact, I often had people tell me that they got more out of the children's time than they did from the sermon I aimed at them. I never quite knew how to take that. Was it a compliment to my children's sermon or a criticism of my adult preaching? I preferred to assume it was the former. But looking back, most of those children's times were pretty corny and in retrospect, even downright embarrassing. Case in point, I once gathered the children around me on the tile floor in front of the altar. I then told them about Peter having to be rescued by Jesus when he failed to walk on water. I told them that, unlike Peter, I could walk on water without sinking. None of them believed that I could, so I took a pitcher of water that I'd placed on the altar beforehand, poured some on the floor in front of them, and proceeded to walk on water. Spilled water, that is. The whole congregation booed. I admit, it was a groaner. The children, of course, accused me of cheating. The point of my little demonstration was, I think, that the only way that I could walk on water was by trickery. The same way that I turned water into wine one prior Sunday by concealing some grape Kool-Aid in the bottom of a pitcher to which I added clear water. Voila! Water to wine. Jesus, I pointed out, was not a magician, and he was not playing tricks. He truly had the power of God in him to walk on water or change water into wine, or change lives for that matter. There were miracle workers other than Jesus in New Testament times. They performed natural wonders, healed people, and even purported to raise people from the dead. They were known as magicians. One of the most famous was named Simon Magus, who is talked about in the book of Acts. His name means Simon the Magician, or Simon the Sorcerer. Simon bragged that he could stand in one place forever and never die. But he evidently thought that his powers were limited, because when he sees the healing power that the Apostle Peter and the other apostles demonstrated by laying on of hands, he comes to them with a request. We read, Now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man has the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. Here ends the reading. Simon's request for power? Denied. Simon didn't understand that there are some things that money can't buy, the power to perform true miracles being one of them. A word was even coined as the result of Simon's actions. Simony is a term used for trying to buy religious favors from the church. Jesus and his disciples were not magicians. The disciples admit that they do not on their own possess any magical powers. Even Jesus himself says, The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus was demonstrating that it is the power of God that is working through him. Through the Holy Spirit sent to them by Jesus, his disciples also become conduits for the power of God. Now, I said that only Jesus can walk on water, that is, unless you include God. In discussing his divine power with Job, God asks him, Have you gone upon the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? And Job's confession is, God alone stretches out the heavens and walks on the waves of the sea. Jesus is demonstrating the power of God in himself, but others just don't get it. That its disciples constantly fail to see what's going on. Their lack of understanding is demonstrated by their response when they first sight Jesus coming out to them on the water. Now, that you would think that after being around Jesus for a while and seeing what he could do and how he could heal people, they might be amazed but wouldn't they at least say, look, there's Jesus doing what he does. Instead, they think they've seen a ghost and they're afraid. They're going back to their magical or supernatural thinking. Belief in ghosts and spirits was part of their popular culture. But they're leaving God out of the equation. Their first assumption should have been that this is the result of the power of God. For them, a ghost was just their inadequate way of explaining something that lay outside of their experience or understanding. A ghost plays a prominent role in Shakespeare's Hamlet. Hamlet had been told by the Night Watch that the ghost of his father has appeared to them. Hamlet and his friend, Horatio, go up to the battlements and the ghost appears. Horatio is a practical down-to-earth scholar and he's stunned by this. He doesn't believe in ghosts. He says, Oh, day and might, but this is wondrous, strange. Hamlet replies, There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Now, Hamlet is suggesting that the human imagination is limited and that there are many things that we don't know, things that we haven't discovered, and in fact, things we haven't even dreamt of. We should expect the unexpected. Now, if I could speak to Hamlet, I would tell him that there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in Horatio's philosophy, but also in your belief in ghosts and supernatural experiences. And that more is the power of God. We are not only limited by our imagination, we're limited by our faith. We can only understand things in terms of what we're already familiar with, what we've already experienced. That's why Jesus said to Peter when he fails the walking on water test, Ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Sometimes biblical scholars, as smart as they are, in their attempt to help us understand scripture, don't do such a good job in helping us strengthen our faith. One of the areas where it's particularly true is a school of thought that tries to explain the miracles of Jesus in natural terms. They had a couple of theories how to explain Jesus walking on water. One theory stated that Jesus wasn't really walking on water, he was walking on a sandbar. And they produced topographical maps of the Sea of Galilee, attempting to show how there could conceivably have been shallow enough water in the area where they thought this story took place. That story didn't, pardon the pun, hold water. For one thing, why did Peter sink, sink when Jesus didn't? Well, my favorite theory was that Jesus wasn't walking on water, he was walking on ice. In 2006, ABC News published an article entitled, Did Jesus Walk on Water or Ice? The author, Sarah Gordazi, attempts to answer this question by proposing that Jesus was, in fact, walking on ice. Researchers at the Florida State University found that during a period of unusually cold weather, it was possible for ice patches to form on the Sea of Galilee. All due respect to ABC and the researchers at Florida State, I'll have to give that one the cold shoulder too. In my many trips to the Sea of Galilee, some in pretty cold weather, I've never witnessed Israeli children ice skating on the sea. And once again, why couldn't Peter walk on the ice while Jesus could? Now don't get me wrong. I like to study the Bible from a literary and historical and scientific standpoint too. Science can help us put the experiences of ancient people into a modern context. For example, science can help us understand and amplify the biblical stories of creation. But it is not the place of scientific theories to explain away miracles and the power of God. That is the realm of faith. To do the hard work of faith, we rely on our experience of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit among us and within us. Now, don't feel badly if you can't get your head around stories like Jesus walking on water. Peter and I couldn't either. These stories are there to challenge us and help us to grow in faith and life. To show you just how thick-headed the disciples were, after all of their experiences with Jesus, including the stroll on the water, they still hadn't gotten it, even after Jesus was crucified and was raised from the tomb. Listen to this story of what happens when the resurrected Lord appears to them as they hide away in fear. While they were talking about Jesus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Can you believe it? Again, they thought they were seeing a ghost. And then Jesus said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving, and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus seems to have infinite patience. He's willing to let them touch him and look at his scarred hands and feet so that they will believe. They still aren't convinced that he's resurrected flesh and bone, so he eats some broiled fish to prove the point. Let's not give up on them too easily, however. At the end of the walking on water story, after he joins them in the boat, they say to him, Truly, you are the Son of God. And after the resurrection, once they get past their fear and lack of understanding, they again confess that he is the Son of God, and they believe so deeply that they risk and sometimes lose their lives to proclaim the good news of the resurrection of Christ. If not for them, we wouldn't be telling this story today. It would have gone the way of the story of Simon the Magician into the dustbins of history there is something enlightening and encouraging in the thick-headedness of the disciples in matters of faith. And that is, we can relate to them. When our faith is weak or fails us, when we are afraid, remember that those who were closest to and served with Jesus struggled with their faith. Like them, we will spend our lives growing in our faith, Many times we'll need to be reminded of what Jesus said to Thomas when he said that he needed to see and touch Jesus' wounds. Do not doubt, but believe. It's really that simple. Do not doubt, but believe. Do you think you can do it? If you can't, remember what Jesus did for Peter as he was sinking he reached out his hand and lifted him up. Christ will do that for us too. In the depths of our sin and doubt and fear, Jesus will reach down and lift us up. In the end, he will lift us up and take him to himself in eternal life. And at that time, we will say with confidence, truly, you are the Son of God. Even I can walk on water. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May the Lord come to you over the troubled seas of life and lift you up. And may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace.